0: If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 4. I'm going to do something. This message is completely different, the way I've structured it today, than any other message I've ever spoken before. It's a completely different kind of way of communicating. Um, and so I want to kind of tell you what that is so that you're not caught off guard. But um, the message, uh, I heard somebody recently say that, that, that it's real close to what we believe theologically around here, they said, we don't preach a message of grace. We preach the gospel of grace. Amen. Okay? And so you cannot escape grace in, in the gospel. The gospel is a message of grace. It is called the gospel of grace in the New Testament. And one of the things that I've wanted to do is, I've, I think I've been talking about this for about a year and a half, maybe two years, but a solid year and a half. Uh, the message of the gospel of grace And we've stayed primarily, we've gone back into the Old Testament some, we've stayed primarily in New Testament. And so some folks recently said, hey, Pastor Dan, what about the Old Testament? Can we find this message there? Uh, What do we do with the Old Testament? Do we read it? Uh, Do we just focus on the New Testament? What is the message of the Old Testament? How do we absorb it? How do we apply it to our lives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I've gotten a lot of questions, more than one, more than five, about that. So I decided to to do this little series that I've been doing for the last couple weeks uh, called The Real Gospel from Genesis to Revelation. Because if you know the context of what you're looking for in the Old Testament, you're going to see and realize that the message of the goodness and kindness of God for humanity, the grace that's found in the gospel, is actually sown from beginning to end of the Word of God. And as the book of Acts continues today, God is still pouring out more and more revelation upon us of this message. And so um, we're going to stay only in the Old Testament today. And I want to show you an amazing story. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to read a story about King Saul and Jonathan and David and Mephibosheth together. And we're going to read the entire story. And then I'm going to tell you who each of those people represent in the New Testament story. And then I'm going to replace their names with the names of who they represent in the New Testament story, the New new Covenant, and I'm going to read it again. How's that sound? So that you and I can begin to see that God was setting this up from the very beginning of his word. He was setting this up. It's found in Genesis. It's found in creation. It's found with Adam. And it continued on through the Old Testament story. And so he didn't just like get to a point and be like, okay, we're just going gonna to change up the plan a bit here. You know, like the, Matthew doesn't start just like a whole new like way of God looking at humanity. He actually has felt this way from the very beginning. And so I don't, as we preach this message as human beings, we are very easily, we want, we want to believe it, but it's really hard for us to believe because the idea that we receive something that we didn't earn does not sit with any other aspect of our entire life. And the idea that somebody that we have at times in our own minds disappointed or maybe gone against or sinned against, wants to be kind to us, wants to be good to us, does not sit at all with us. And in the natural, if I was mean and nasty to Charles, which I may have been at one time in the last 20 years, um, to Charles here, if he was really kind and nice back to me, be like, what's this dude's problem, right? Doesn't sit well with us. It's like there's something wrong here. This guy's creepy. He keeps on being nice to me and I've been nothing but mean to him. It doesn't make sense. And that's why the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Tasting and seeing is an experience. It's not an understanding. So we have to experience the goodness of God in order for us to understand it. Does that make sense? It it only comes experientially. Uh And so... I want you to see and and taste and experience the goodness of God from beginning to end in the Word of God so that every time the enemy, the voice of the accuser, comes around and tries to put you back into that that law-based, sin-based, that sin-nature mode where you begin the cycle of shame and all the stuff that we've done throughout church history, you can remind him, no, God has felt this way about me from the very beginning. Got me? Got me? So we're going to rush through this, not rush, because we don't need to rush, because it's not that long. But just stay with me in the story. So we're going to do a little chronological jump here. Okay, we're going to start here. And then we're going to head backwards a little bit, and then we're going to jump way over here, okay, in the chronology of it. So we're going to start in 2 Samuel 4.4. And it says, now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So we have four characters here. We have King Saul. We have his son, Jonathan. And we have Mephibosheth. And we're going to introduce David in a moment. And I'm going to explain to you how they all, all uh, function in the story. So we have the K- King Saul, who is the king. And King Saul was not a nice guy. He was a bad dude. And Jonathan was a nice man. He was much nicer. And then he had a son, Mephibosheth. But I want you to see that the report came back that Jonathan had died. And King Saul, one scripture says that he killed himself or committed suicide. More than likely, he probably put himself in harm's way on the front lines because he couldn't bear the thought of coming back with his son dead. And in these times, the historical context of this, in these times, and, and, and continued on throughout medieval history and uh, other periods of our history uh, in, in this world, the, the, the plan, if you will, or the typical thing that would happen is when, when a king died and, and his maybe next living adult offspring died, they, if a new family took the throne, they would immediately kill every potential heir to that king's throne because they didn't want him to get older and come back and try to take the throne over. And so he was a direct threat or, or sometimes they would kill the girls too. They were threats to the, 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 the new family that would take over the throne, that would take over the power. And so it was a 100% chance that Mephibosheth would be killed. You may say, well, he's five years old. They would kill him? Yes. They would kill him at five years old to make sure that later on there would not be a claim made to the throne. And so Mephibosheth is on the run. Well, he's five, but he's a nanny or a caretaker or a servant that's taken him, and they've left the palace, and they're hiding on the run. They go to a town, we're going to see here in a moment, and that's where he's being raised as David takes the throne. David becomes king. And he's scared because he knows that if the king finds him, because of what his grandfather did, he will be killed. Because of what his family lineage is in the legacy that he lives in, because of his last name, he will be killed. And so he's growing up basically in hiding, hoping that the king will not find him because the king would be threatened that one of Saul's descendants was still alive. Are we there with me? Yeah. So now let's jump back in time a little bit before any of this happened. 1 Samuel 18.3 Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. So before any of this happens, Jonathan, Saul's son, makes a covenant with David. We don't know at this point in the chronology what that covenant is. We learn in 2 Samuel here in a moment. We just know that they were friends and they had a covenant. They had they had a deal they had some promises made between them got me let's jump now ahead of where we were before so we started in the middle we jumped backwards now we're going to jump ahead to second samuel chapter nine and this is where we pick up david is king and he's looking for one of saul's descendants and everyone who knew that he was looking for them knew why it was to eliminate them you hear me So, David said, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness? Now, you have to understand, this one scripture changed history. Because this never happened. Unheard of. You would be a fool to show kindness to the descendants of the family you took the throne from. Kindness for... Get this, Jonathan's sake. He remembered the covenant between them. Now we're kind of beginning to see what that covenant was. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Ziba said to the king, There's still a son of Jonathan who's crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? Ziba said to the king, Behold, he's in the house of Mechir, the son of Amiel, and Lodabar. And Lodabar, somebody reminded me after service, means the middle of nowhere. In the first service, I came up with a couple other cool things, ways to explain Lodabar, but I will not say them here because nobody laughed in the first service. You promised you'll laugh? Not yet. Let me get the... I just think Load Bar is a cool name. I just do. And I think there's a lot of ways we could use it. Like, if you were moving out of your restaurant and you wanted to go to a different restaurant and you had guys there, you'd say, hey, guys, let's go load the bar. All right? Right? Okay, that didn't work very well. Let me try another one. All right. I should have learned my lesson in the first service. What's that thing where you do like this thing? Limbo, right? If, if you just don't feel it's challenging enough, you say, hey, load a bar. Right? I have more, but I'll. That's for the those of you that subscribe to podcasts. You can <laughs> the king said, Oh, we did that one. Then the king said sent and brought him from the house of Akir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. Why do they keep telling us what the lineage is? Because it's important. It's important to understand that we have a first man, we have the second man, and then we have the offspring, the descendant of that second man, the third man here. Okay? We're gonna understand what that is in a moment. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here is your servant. David said to him, do not fear. Why is he saying do not fear? Because everybody knows this king is getting ready to kill this boy. He says, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Now, we read that. It's a great story. It's really cool. But you're sitting here going, I have a job. I don't care about some guy named Saul or David or Jonathan. I have kids to feed. I have, you know, a house to maintain. I have a car payment to make. Why does this make any sense to me that some far-off story about four people, one of which I can't say the name of uh, or pronounce. Let me show you what's going on here. So, let's do this together. I'm going to put up a name and I want to see if you guys can say the name. You ready for this? I'm going to test you. If that was a fail. I, I, let's try it again. All right OK oh, That was terrible. Some of you guys are, are you speaking in tongues? What's going on here? Some of you got the Holy Ghost, and you've never had it before just kidding. You did pretty good. The first service was a mess, okay? You guys did good. Mephibosheth. All right, so let me show you who these characters are in the story. Let me show you who these, these are real people, real events, but let me show you what God is beginning to unfold in front of us. Way before the New Testament, way before Jesus comes, way before his new covenant, he's beginning to drop a hint with this, with this story. He's, he's orchestrating the world to communicate to humanity that something is going to change, that his goodness and his kindness towards humanity has always been there. You ready? King Saul represents Adam or the fallen man. It's going to make sense in a moment. Jonathan is Jesus. David is God the Father. And Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is us. Capital U. Capital S. You and me. It's us. Y'all still don't know what I'm talking about? That's all right. Let's do it. You ready? That's why I did this. So I... All I did was take this magic Da Vinci Code key thing here, all right? And I have replaced the names of the characters with Adam for King Saul, Jesus for Jonathan, God for David, and you and me, us, for Mephibosheth. Let's read it again and see if it comes alive to you. Then Jesus made a covenant with God. Sounding promising. All right, what kind of covenant are we talking about here? Jesus made a covenant with God. You know what I love about this? Mephibosheth wasn't even born, more than likely, when they made this covenant. Right. Right. Oh. You. you and I weren't even in—we ex- weren't even physically existing on the earth when <laughs> Jesus made his covenant with God. Right. It was a two-party contract, and your name wasn't on that contract. Amen. The deal wasn't made with you. Listed, It was with you in mind. And the one responsible for keeping the contract or the promise is David. It's God himself. Okay, y'all ain't with me. That's all right. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I promise. I'm coming for you. You don't even know what you're getting ready to get hit with. All right. Then God said, is there anyone left of the house of Adam? I can't even go on anymore after this. Is there anyone left of the house of Adam? Is there anyone left of the sinful, fallen man, the nature of sin? Is there anyone left who, 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 who belongs to the man who, who messed it up in the garden? Woo! gave up the promise, who, who gave up all that I had prepared for him, who, who, who allowed there to be separation between us. Is there anyone who has ever screwed up before that I may show him kindness for the sake of Jesus? Oh, not for the sake of Adam, for the sake of Jesus, because Jesus and I had a conversation. We had a covenant. We had a deal. Now there was a servant of the house of Adam whose name was Ziba and they called him unto God and the king or God said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, I'm your servant. God said, Is there not anyone of the house of Adam who I can show my kindness to? You see, this is so revolutionary because this, this, everyone in their right mind would say that Mephibosheth or any offspring of these people deserved punishment, death, Whatever. You're you're not wrong for saying that Mephibosheth deserved to die. It it was the sensible thing to do. It was what he ultimately had coming to him. It was was what would happen in in the lineage of a king that this is what was supposed to happen. And King Saul, my, I mean, he sowed some bad stuff. Zeba said to the king, there's still a son of Jesus who is crippled in both feet. So God said to him, where is he? And Zebus said to the king, behold, he's in, he's in the middle of nowhere. Come on, have you ever found yourself in the middle of nowhere? Yes. He is in the middle of nowhere and he is hiding from you because he thinks you're mad at him and he thinks you're out to kill him. I've got to tell you something right now. For you and your friends and the people you don't like and the people you do like, I want to tell you this. And you can just declare, this is what Harvest is all about. This is what we declare over and over and over again. God is not out to get you. He's out after you. Oh, come on. See, our church, I I feel like our church is Zeba. That's what I feel like. It'd be a weird name for a church, but who knows, you know. It has a Z in it. It could be cool. I feel like our church is Zeba. I feel like the Lord is saying, is there anyone out there who believes it because of the fact that they are descended from Adam, because they were born into the sinful world, is there anyone out there who thinks that I'm out to get them? Because I want you to bring them to me so I can show them kindness. Come on, there is a call from heaven over humanity and over our city. Is there anyone left? Can you bring anyone to me that thinks I'm angry with them or I'm out to get them or I'm trying to track them down and destroy them and punish them for them or their family or their lineage or whatever it may be? Is there anyone out there I can show kindness to? Mephibosheth ran and you ran and I ran because we weren't totally convinced that the king was going to show us kindness. We weren't totally convinced that when we came back to the palace that we wouldn't be punished, that we wouldn't get what we deserved. Yeah. Yeah. See, the gospel of grace is, is found in this story because we can see that God's given Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth through the through story. God's given you and I what we didn't deserve, what we didn't earn, what, what we didn't have coming to us. What we had coming to us was way, way worse. But God actually wants to bless you and show his kindness to you and his favor upon you. Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he's in the middle of nowhere. Verse 5, Then God said and brought him from there, from Lodabar. He said, You and me, the son of Jesus, the son of Adam. See, there's this lineage that we're establishing here with the first man all the way down. And he came to God. He fell in his face. He prostrated himself. And God said, Dan Minor? <laughs> You can put your name in there, but it's my sermon, so I get it to see me. <laughs> and God said, Dan Miner. And I went, Here's your sermon. I'm here, God. I know. I know what you're going to do. Can you just make it quick? I know I'm a mess. I know I'm full of mistake and sin and shame and mistake. I get it. I get it. Just do what you got to do. Take me out. And God says to Dan and to you, do not fear. Because there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And when God came to, and he searched for you and he sent out the search party for you and brought you back, he wanted you to know right off the bat this is not going to be about fear anymore. Amen. You don't ever have to be afraid of me because I love you and I want to show you kindness. And he said, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of Jesus. Hmm. And will restore to you all the land, oh Lord, all the land that your grandfather Adam had, all of the promises that Adam had coming to him, all that was promised to Adam, the relationship that I wanted, the, the community and the communion with mankind that I wanted to love and be loved with. That place that I had with Adam that got destroyed because of sin. I, because of my contract and covenant with Jesus, have removed that separation again. And I'm restoring connection back with mankind because I always wanted to be with you. I always wanted to be near you. I always wanted to be connected to you. So once again, God is telling us in this story, I want to be in relationship with mankind. And there's nothing you or your lineage, or your dad, or your grandfather can do that will separate you from God's love. And fear is no longer a factor. Come on. Come on. Everything I initially wanted for mankind will be restored back to you for the sake of Jesus. I haven't slept all night and I am so fired up right now. I'll probably collapse right after this. This is my favorite part because I like to eat. Y'all are chuckling. I've lost 29 pounds in three months. Okay? I'm going to lose more. Doesn't mean I don't like to eat. when you go to tie your shoes and you get out of breath. (laughs) You gotta do something. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Someone's like, how are you losing so much weight? I just stopped eating a dozen donuts every morning. That's all I did. (laughs) I didn't even have one on National Donut Day. That was Friday. No, I skipped it. Just kidding. This is my favorite part. This is my favorite part right here. And he says to Mephibosheth, the king says to Mephibosheth, God says to you and I, and you will eat at my table regularly. Example for the rest of you, okay? Check this out. I'm going to preach this to you in a moment, all right? Check this out. Not only does God say through the story and communicate to you, just like the King David did to Mephibosheth, that everything that Adam gave up because of sin, I'm restoring to you, not because you deserve it because I made a deal with Jesus. But then he says, oh yeah, I know the shame you're carrying. I know the labels that have put on you. I know that you are the one that ran away to nowhere, the, the one that whose family was killed, the family that used to be in power, the family that used to be royalty, the family that used to have promises over their life. The family that used to have opportunity. But I want to tell you something. I'm not just going to restore the promises over your life. But you are now invited back to the royal table. And there is a name place for you to sit down and to dine with me. Because you are no longer what could have been. But you are back reunited and restored as royalty as a priest as a son as a daughter your name is at the table and I'm waiting for you to come sit down oh you might walk up and say uh yeah I don't know if I should be here and well, you shouldn't and neither should I but that's not the point because for the sake of Jesus oh baby we can sit down Oh, we can dine. The table's been spread before us. The banquet table is waiting for you. The banquet table is waiting for you to cast off shame and fear and mistake and regret and say, I know I don't deserve it, but I am a king. I am a son. I am a priest. And the king is waiting for me to take my seat at his table. Come on some of you need to get excited in this place that the same God who saw Adam in the garden the same God that sent his son to the cross from the beginning of time to now has been saying one thing I am good, I am kind I am full of love I am full of mercy I am waiting for you to come and know that you are mine and I am yours and the wall of separation has been removed not because of you but for the sake of Jesus will you come and die? Will you come and sit? Will you come and sit down with me and realize that you have been restored? Come on. Gotcha. Gotcha. Woo! Come on! Woo! Come on. Some more. Woo. <laughs> you know what? That nameplate doesn't say? That nameplate doesn't say Dan the addict. Come on now. Come on. Come on. That nameplate doesn't have a record attached to it. That's right. Woo. Come on. That table doesn't have special, you know, provisions because you know how he is. Come on. Come on. It's the same royal seat that he would give to any other royal person. It's the same reception he would give to somebody that's never done anything wrong. It has been restored and it's waiting for you to sit down. If you go on to read the story, you'll, say, you'll see that David says basically in so many words, he says, he says, as long as I live, as long as I'm the king, there will be a seat for that boy. Come on, the one plucked from nowhere, the one that was running thinking I was angry at him, the one that was, that was hiding because he thought that because of who he was and the fallen nature of his grandfather, he, the one that, that said, I know what I deserve, I know what I have coming, I'm going to stay away. Harvest, you've you got to hear me today as I close this you got to hear me today as I close this. We are, we are not called to just have a cute little church. Come on. We are not called to just, just kick the can down the road a little bit. We're not called to, to not confront and face the real issues of the world today. The reality is this. My heart burns for those that would not step in a church. My heart burns for those that think God is angry with them. My heart burns from those that are hiding in the middle of nowhere without hope and promise because they think the Lord's out to get them or kill them my heart burns that we would be a declaration and a lighthouse that is sharing the goodness and kindness of God, that's beating back the voice of condemnation and religion, that's saying enough is enough. He has been good from Genesis to Revelation. He's been good from the beginning of time. He has wanted to be with humanity since the beginning. I, I think it's great if somebody goes to a church somewhere, they say I like Harvest better. I'm going to go there. That's awesome. And I know some of you that was the case for you. Said I found something here. I wasn't getting somewhere else, and I want to stay here. And I'm, I'm happy you did that. But I got to be honest with you. 99% of church advertising, of church resources, are poured into how can we become more appealing than the next church, so people will jump out of that fish tank and into ours. Meanwhile, there's fish flopping on the ground. We're stepping over these fish that are taking their last breath, waiting for somebody to scoop them up and say, welcome back to where your heart belongs. I can't step over the fish flopping on the ground anymore, trying to coax some out of this tank into that tank anymore. I can't do it. The reality is this. There are so many. There's tens of thousands. There's probably hundreds of thousands within driving distance of this church who won't step foot near anything having to do with God because they believe he's out to get them. They don't realize he's out to find them so that he can show them that he is kind and everything they've ever wanted to discover in relationship is waiting. And they're actually through Jesus royalty yeah. and have access to the promises and the banquet table of heaven yes said when Mephibosheth sat at the table his crippled legs were covered which means there was no more evidence that he ran from God that he found himself in the middle of nowhere and that he was the descendant of that fallen nature no more evidence it's been covered That's why when we get around people that are getting free of all that junk, and then they're like, well, you know, every once in a while, you know, my flesh creeps up on me. I got news for you. He has covered every part of you that would cause you to run backwards and allow your flesh to do whatever you think your flesh, he has covered it and he has paid the price that you can walk in total freedom from the temptation to go backwards.